0: Hey, everyone, this is Ann Doherty, your host of current and energy podcast with the loom advising. This is the second week in a row that I have the pleasure of listening as a participant like you to our podcast. In this episode, Alum Principal Mike Lee speaks with Steve Cowell, President of E for the Future, about the infrastructure bill and its impact on helping this country transition to a clean energy economy. Steve starts by sharing his experience starting the Conservation Services Group before tackling various provisions of the infrastructure bill and how it can help the nation to meet the administration's climate goals. We're very excited for this conversation. I'm sure that you'll learn so much from these two. And um, yeah, we'll let you get to it.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Mike Lee with Alum Advising. Um, for today's podcast, we are interviewing Steve Cowell, who was Um, one of the founders of the conservation services group and is currently the president of E for the future. And Steve has been involved in the energy efficiency and energy services world. Um, I won't give it away for a long time. And so he has a lot of wisdom and knowledge to share with us. And so we thought we would bring him in today just to hear about sort of what he's been up to and, you know, particularly what he's been up to relative to federal funding and uh, the bipartisan bipartisan infrastructure bill. So, Steve, um, I guess, you know, maybe just to start, but like, why don't you tell us about like how you started and founded the Conservation Services Group and, you know, why did you start it and what did you accomplish over your time there?
2: Well, that's, that's, that's asking for a pretty broad set of information because I've been doing this for 43 years. So, I got a few decades of, of information that I could uh, cast out. But the point is that, um, you know, energy, energy efficiency was really something that got my passion going in terms of, actually started 1979 at the request of the Carter administration during the Iran hostage crisis. And I was working in the state government in Massachusetts with for Mike Dukakis, who's the governor. Um, and basically they knew I was did a lot of work on doing organizing uh, against issues. And so they asked me to come up with a solution to make people feel better in the country as a result of feeling bad about the raising oil prices. So I learned, I went down the hall and learned from the WAP people who were running the WAP program what energy conservation was all about. I didn't know anything about it. And they spent two hours sitting me down and lecturing me about energy efficiency, and low-cost, no-cost energy conservation. And I was fascinated. And I said, you mean everyone can do this? They said, yep. I said, whoa. So I had an idea. And I called uh, back to Carter administration and uh, had told them my idea, which was to take a city in Massachusetts that primarily uses oil for heating and educate everyone on how they can reduce their use of energy and lower their bill. And um, they said, that's great. So Walter Mondale, who was the vice president called the governor and said, Steve's got a great idea. You support him? And they said, he's, and the governor said, sure, yeah. Yes, vice president. And then uh, then the Mondale called the, the, the uh, mayor of Fitchburg, Massachusetts, which is the city that I picked to be the one we trained on energy efficiency. And the folks, my great friends at the Weatherization Assistance Program, um, who ran it in Massachusetts, who were were great, and they basically put together a 20-minute flip chart. You know, because back in 1979, there weren't any electronics whatsoever, but it was a flip chart. And basically, we, um, in 12 weeks, the mayor, and totally supported it. And they had a, the high school band march down the street to announce that they were gonna be educating the community on how to save energy and lower their oil bill. And in 12 weeks, 85% of every household in the city of Fitchburg went to a workshop on saving energy. And it got national attention. And um, it was a big article uh, feature on on it in the national geographic magazine and the headline was city tells iran to stick it (laughs) and basically the state of massachusetts said this is great steve here's money let's educate everyone in the state of massachusetts on saving energy wow and that was uh you know i hired people all over the state to do workshops and educate people on low cost, no cost energy conservation that was t- taught to me by the team in the WAP program, who were great. Um, so basically I decided this was a great way to reach people, help people, and that I would spend the rest of my life doing this. So that's great,
1: that's a, that's a great origin story. So, you know, <laughs> you would um, go on to do this work across the country, you expanded across the country. Yeah. Um, and Did this work for decades before you eventually sold Conservation Services Group to Clear Result? And out of that sale, you started E for the Future. Um, tell tell us about the inspiration for E for the Future and what you're trying to accomplish with E for the Future.
2: Okay, sure. Basically, the uh, you know the work we did, we created Conservation Services Group as a way to uh, accelerate real hard energy efficiency in residential homes and to work with the utilities to get them to change their perspective on energy efficiency, which most of the utilities were against it because they lost money. And that was a real, and they quietly told me, we, we don't want to help people save energy because that means we don't get revenue. And so we did a deal that if we could convince regulators to change that rule and, have, and that they could make money off of doing better for their customers, they said, we'll be all in if you can convince them. And so we did. I worked with the Conservation Law Foundation, a local advocate group. And we basically come up came up with a plan, which they supported for decoupling their profits from their sales, number one, and two, creating performance-based incentives based on Serving customers effectively and better. So it was uh, that was the deal. We cut, we worked it out, we negotiated it in 1990. It was adopted in Massachusetts and quickly adopted in Connecticut and other states. And so we decided okay, now we got it going. The utilities are willing to really do it right if they have that kind of incentive. And so we took off and energy. Conservation Services Group was the goal was to really work hard on bringing the technologies to the marketplace and bring it to customers in a way that can then be accelerated. Uh, Blower doors and you know uh, insulation and and uh, um, thermostats that are you know control you know that are better at you know working on people's so basically that's what we did and we took over the Massachusetts. Uh, program which was great, Mass Save, and they gave it to us to run. Um, mainly the residential portion that was mm-hmm. our our passion. But then basically the idea, the plan of decoupling performance based rates and energy efficiency as a resource started taking off around the country, and we said, okay, that's what we got to do. We got to help make that work, and we were one of the few contractors that actually had the, the passion and the skill set. Uh, to, to make it work, so we basically took over most of it in the country, and we ran the energy efficiency in 26 states, which was fantastic. We ended up, uh, but by early 2000s, there were a lot. There were other companies that were doing good stuff, just like we were doing. Every, yeah. You know, clear result was just one of many um, that were, you know, getting into the field and doing it very well. So I decided in 2015. That if we could sell our assets uh, to a company that could do the work, that we would have a bucket of money to help accelerate policy, accelerate technology, and help with innovation um, from, you know, from our past experience, bringing it in to, um, you know, the marketplace and getting the marketplace accelerated. Um, so that's what we've been doing. We basically went from 800 staff to 12, and but we had resources that we could give grants or we started giving grants to a lot of, of uh, nonprofits and other organizations, ACEE, Alliance, et cetera, to really elevate the concept of not just energy efficiency, but linking energy efficiency to multiple demand resources. Uh, and really trying to bring it together, solar wind uh, storage, et cetera, which was just starting back in 2015. So that's what we've been doing. We've got some uh, policy work, a lot of policy work in Washington, Um, our policy team uh, that we've hired and working with uh, ACEEE and and others. Um, So it's been great to pick up where are the problems? What do we need to accelerate? What are the barriers and how do we remove them and, and move more quickly?
1: Yeah, that's so, great. That's, that's a great mission and uh, very timely for our topic of conversation today, which is the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, more commonly known as the Infrastructure Bill or the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill. And I think the hope for the Infrastructure Bill is really that it will help accelerate the transition to a clean energy yes. economy and help us meet our climate goals um I'm just curious like what are the what do you think are the biggest um needs in as it relates to clean energy and really making an acceleration happen to, um whether it's like technology adoption or policy and you know how can the infrastructure funding help like where do you want to see that infrastructure funding de- deployed the most
2: Well there's two parts to that equation that answer which is number 1 is the funding has to link effectively, the federal funding and the existing state utility, et cetera, funding has to work together. If it does work together, it can dramatically accelerate the work that's being done. And secondly, having, doing work that actually brings closer collaboration between the new policy directives, in terms of the you know climate carbon goals, uh, heavily focused on electrification and then shifting our electri- electric industry to more renewables and basically having electrification of heating, uh, hot water. Um, and there's a variety of other sources, but the whole effort around electrification linked to weatherization and linked to... Um, you know, making homes and buildings both more efficient and more uh, clean using electrification, which is a new phenomenon. It's basically, this is relatively new because electrification, particularly in in cold climates, was impossible, did not work. Uh, it took the, the industry, the HVAC industry, 10 to 15 years to figure out how to really create effective cold climate heat pumps, and they yeah. have. And we're working heavily with, with uh, sponsors all around the uh, multiple states to really dive deep into how best to deliver uh, a combination of more efficient buildings and converting h- how they're heating and, and cooling and using hot water, et cetera. So that's the new directive, and that's what we have to work together to make it work. Um, and that's what we're we're working on, and that's where we hope, and we're pretty sure that the federal infrastructure is actually the current acronym is I I J A IJA. So that's the acronym IDJA. <laughs> Um, But uh, you know, there's twelve buckets, big buckets, of funding in that legislation, and there's a lot of funds, and uh, DOE is working hard at trying to. Come up with the detailed guidelines. Some of them are formula based. EESG, SEP, WAP are formula based, so that they'll go to the states to implement, expand what they're doing now. Um, and some are competitive. Grid flexibility. Um, you know, there's a whole uh, range of. Sc- there's uh, a section for schools and and uh, hospital, public buildings. Uh, so there's a there's a range under that twelve buckets, and we're working hard. We, meaning the Energy Efficiency Strategy Group, to work with DOE on implementing that and looking at each one of the, the um, buckets. shall we say, for example, one of is if we're going to expand and be more comp- a little more complicated in terms of integrating in multiple resources. Um, we're going to have to train our workforce. So workforce development and workforce training is one of the buckets of the INJA. INJA. Sorry, I'm going to say the words INJA rather than infrastructure bill uh, because that's the new buzz. But at any rate, so, you know, there's uh, $40 million to help states do uh, workforce training. And there's a lot of work going on with, who are the current training institutions, organizations, and how can they be ramped up? That's an example of, you know, good idea, and then implement. Yeah, um, and that's that's something that's uh, going on right now to try to do that. And of course, you have the three major programs that just mentioned: WAP, Weatherization Assistance Program for low income, which is critical from an equity point of view. Uh, you know, that's a, an extra $3.5 billion, which is 10 times what the current allocation is. Um, so it's basically taking a program like that, an effort, which is there doing it, but then accelerating it dramatically. So great to, to do, but we gotta get down in the trenches and do the training, do the contractor development, um, expand the workforce, and then accelerate the um, uh, the outreach, marketing, and attention uh, between the trainer, the the implementers, and the customers. And um, and there's also a lot of uh, low income uh, utility programs that are there. So one of the goals, and this is. So the big picture that we're working with, educating, working with NASIO, mm-hmm. National you know, State Energy Office uh, Organization, um, you know, to try to help implement that. Because um, I, I don't know, I didn't mention this, but I was one of the primary authors of ARA in 2008. Uh, and so I helped put that together and create the ARA legislation in 2008. Um, and then I work with DOE very closely on implementing it through regional workshops. And that is what I would recommend. One of the t- tasks, and I've worked with DOE and NASIO on this issue of setting up and working with states for state energy offices to coordinate uh, roundtables and workshops between the utility programs and the public agency programs um, and with linking in DOE representatives to talk through how the various programs can work together and how the edu- the information to customers, contractors, et cetera, needs to be coordinated and, and uh, you know, work yeah. together. So that's, yeah, that's yeah. my two cents on how we can move forward with the great opportunity with collaboration as a centerpiece.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've touched on a lot of important topics, um, you know, collaboration, you know, being one of them. And, you know, as we work together, uh, you know, in Connecticut to develop the health and safety barrier remediation program that would complement um, the utility energy efficiency work so that um, homes could participate in the utility um, energy efficiency programs, um, even if they had, you know, small health and safety barriers that would otherwise prevent, right. prevent them from doing that weatherization work. And so like, you know, I think there is a, if we're going to meet our climate goals and if we're going to sort of improve the energy affordability for those who can least afford sort of potential future price increases, um, you know, we have to figure out ways to sort of, um, come, Combine funding sources and address some of the problems yes. that have been left unaddressed over the years. And I'm I'm curious if you have any other thoughts about sort of other sort of um, complementary programs that um, could exist or could be funded by this infrastructure funding, or sort of like needs that are out there.
2: Well, certainly uh, one and one part of that is the you know the grid flexibility, meaning collecting and connecting, um, uh, you know, storage building operation and the distribution system, the energy electric distribution system, which needs to be upgraded. It needs to be smarter, (laughs) better to deal with the electrification part of it, but ultimately it has to get down to buildings. So getting into buildings, Uh, And being able to identify issues around, uh, you know, the best way for those buildings to better integrate their energy use with the ability to deliver that energy use um, effectively. Uh, For example, recently in the three-year plan in Massachusetts, they've introduced a very aggressive, it's called now Active Demand Management Program for residential and commercial So as part of the energy efficiency plan and program and outreach to customers around insulating and windows, et cetera, they're also reaching out to incorporate um, better demand management so that the electric system can be better um, equipped to deal with um, the fluctuations in need Mm -hmm. around, you know, up north it gets cold and down south it gets Hot. So, and that goes back and forth. But anyway, so that's an example of taking what was a baseline energy efficiency and expanding it to, on the one hand, a dramatically increased electrification, heat pumps, and active demand management to better control and integrate the utilities' needs, the customers' needs, and the climate carbon reduction needs. And so that's a ch- when we're working hard in Massachusetts, that's where I am and I've worked with them for many, many decades. And so we're working together to try to do that uh, effectively. And the three-year plan that was just approved and will be imp- you know, brought into the field in the next uh, two months uh, will be a good example. And other states should look deeply at uh, what's being done there. And in Connecticut with your leadership, Mike, you were fantastic. At helping, uh, we couldn't have done it if, you, if it wasn't uh, for your great leadership. Uh, at the, uh, of course, you you were pretty deep into it, as they say.
1: Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> very true, very true. And I, it, you know, and I think one of the things that it made me think of is that in Connecticut, and you mentioned this earlier, this the concept of electrification. You know, and so we have the utility energy efficiency programs, which is in the range of two hundred forty million dollars a year. Um, but there are statutory constraints on what those funds can be used for, right? In Connecticut, it's That's only right. used for conservation and load management. And so there's a lot of questions around like, does that statutory language really allow you to use the money for sort of like electrification if it does not also come with conservation and or load management. Um, right. And I think, you know, potentially like other places who have sort of like statutes or regulations that were put in place in a different era, you know, might like see the, the federal infrastructure bill funding, which potentially has more flexibility um, yes. than some of the sort of like the statutory language around these rate payer funded programs as a way to sort of address policy or, Climate goals that might not otherwise be addressable through sort of like the you know the ratepayer funded energy efficiency programs, um, yeah, and so like I think what it makes me think about like you know like in Connecticut we there's a very specific like cost test so to speak that we use to determine right. whether or not a program um, can be offered in the efficiency programs. And, you know, particularly something like the funding through the state energy program has a lot fewer restrictions, still has its own federal restrictions, but not necessarily subject to the same cost effectiveness test, which then sort of allows um, the state uh, to, you know, use the money in a different way um, than perhaps, um, you know, they could through the the efficiency program. So, I mean, as you think about something like the state energy program, have you thought about um, sort of like ways that, um, states could be innovative or could partner with utility programs to, um, you know, do new things that might not be eligible for funding under the ratepayer funded programs.
2: Absolutely, and and that's critical. I mean, you know, the whole regu- rate regulation, you know, the whole process was to how to keep control over the prices and uh, lower costs, and which is important. That was with the, a core part to start with, but you know, we. We've run into this thing called climate change and carbon and and other and equity and other issues. So the answer is yes. Having the utility programs that are are more required to be focused on the costs and savings, um, to be modified either modified through legislation or to be modified through collaboration between uh, funds that don't have that restriction, which. The federal funds, and I'll just add, it's not just IJA. I'm using the, the infrastructure, EJA. Um, but ARPA, many states have used the ARPA funds that came in earlier and are allocating them in a flexible way for energy efficiency. And that was, as you know, in Connecticut, it was ARPA funds that were primarily used for the the barrier mitigation. And yeah. it was because that was easier to um, to support without having to go through a regulatory process yeah. so the answer is absolutely correct we every state and key program participants and policymakers and implementers utilities state agencies etc need to sit down and work through look at the various pots of money the bins you know in, in the Northeast you we have, you know, forward capacity market, which creates something and et cetera. So there are other forms of funding, but also ARPA funding and the upcoming federal funds can be more flexible. And that's why I guess my recommendation is to do similar to what I did in 08, 09, which is to have workshops, get everyone sitting down in a room and do a round table of, you know, putting on, You know, here's here's the federal Egypt money. Here's the YARPA money. Here's other funds. Here's the utility funds. Here's what we're starting with. And so while you're in evaluating a home for the energy efficiency utility efforts, here's what you can add. Boom, boom, boom. And it comes from a different pool that has less restrictions. Yeah. And so, but that will take active collaboration state by state, um, with the energy office utilities and some key stakeholders sitting down and putting up, uh, on a flip chart <laughs> or sorry, an electronic uh, <laughs> flip chart. Um, you know, here's what's eligible under our, here's what's eligible under each of the 12 buckets of yeah. Egypt money, um, but those have to; those are still in the process of getting worked out. DOE has not completed their effort. They're hoping within the next several months to complete more specific guidelines on um, for each of those twelve buckets. Um, you know, because DOE was seriously understaffed, um, and they're yeah. working hard. Great yeah. team, working hard to pull this off. It'll, but it may take them couple of months to really do it but that's coming up soon so people should start talking now about planning for may june july those when we have more specific information on that bucket uh arpa funds and and the utility and sometimes non-utility of funding sources
1: yeah yeah That's good that's good so i want to just double back to a topic that you raised earlier which is around the workforce and you know like i can tell you that when i was in connecticut one of the challenges um, is that there was not enough people to do the the residential retrofit work the people that are doing audits that are installing the insulation that are doing the you know whether the air sealing and the duct sealing um, and so, you know, you mentioned that there is $40 million for, for energy auditor training in the infrastructure bill. Have you seen, like, you know, what comes to mind as you think about, like, what are successful programs and what are um, successful training operations that could really sort of um, use an injection of money to really scale the number of workers that are entering into the sort of the, this residential energy efficiency um, work? Um, space? And or like, what else do we need to do to really sort of um, convince people that there are right. opportunities and career opportunities um, to be sort of like a contractor in this residential energy efficiency um, sector?
2: Well, there certainly are, you know, there's national groups that we, we started up uh, 30 years ago, <laughs> knowing this would be the case. The Building Performance Institute is a very important one. Uh, there's ASHRAE, there's ResNet, So there's several existing groups that do training specifically on this topic, but we also need to link those to one of the the goals uh, that's really being developed in multiple states is to work with community colleges and have community colleges set up and and coordinate with the training infrastructure that's there nationally, but the beautiful part of Community colleges is a they're local, b they've got people already interested in looking at a career and thinking about their career and having a training session. Uh, We're working in Massachusetts collaboratively with the Roxbury Community College, for example. In Connecticut, you guys uh, worked with a whole series of community colleges, I believe, on this issue. So basically, taking the existing educational structure and adding Energy efficiency, renewable energy, um, uh, skills, and certifications, so that you can graduate with a certificate in, and then and, and uh, go right into the workforce. Because there's, you know, multiple organizations, contractors will be looking to hire workers. So this is an industry that will need to grow. But you're absolutely correct. We need to help it grow. And so, you know, part Massachusetts, uh, as part of its three-year, it, it's, uh they passed legislation in March of last year, a year ago. It's the uh, Climate Roadmap Bill. And they basically said, in the legislation, they mandated that $12 million a year go to workforce development. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, and that's going to be, Expanded actually, but so basically, uh, that legislation. So, other states need to look at how they can link legislative goals around climate and, and um, you know, carbon and uh, energy efficiency, etc., to workforce development as an integrated strategy.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, I think we've been talking as an industry, right, that the clean energy economy is going to produce jobs, you know, in every part of the country for every person. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I think in a lot of ways it has delivered, but there's still a lot of opportunity and still a lot of need um, yes. for more people to enter the workforce. And, you know, I think one of the things that we sort of like realize in Connecticut is that like, Most people like in high school or considering or in vocational schools, like didn't really have like energy efficiency on their radar screen as as an option. Um, And so, you know, I think the solar industry has done a little bit of a better job in terms of like building their workforce. Um, But uh, hopefully um, the residential energy efficiency world can catch up a little bit.
2: Right. And then uh, I hope folks know about our energy efficiency jobs report E for the future. One of the things we did, we felt just like you just said, uh, Mike, uh, that we need to take a focus on the importance of jobs, careers, etc. So we've been for the last uh, oh, five years um, publishing and people can go on our website and see the the U.S. jobs report that we break down state by state. And we have the faces of E.E., which is we have gone to to. Conferences, etc., and people have agreed to come up and take their picture and tell and say what their job is like and why they're, you know, positive and feel good about the things they're doing. So the faces of EE and the the jo- annual every year we publish a jobs report by state and by congressional district. So it's really worth looking at. It's there for everyone. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I know that we did a like a like a supplemental Connecticut report that went a little bit farther. And one of the things I really appreciated about the report that, um, you know, we did in Connecticut and was really spearheaded by the Green Bank, um, the Connecticut Green Bank was like they would as part of these profiles, it would say this is, you know, what the job title is. This is how much you make. And this is like what you do. And I think right. that, like, that was like you know I think eye opening for me it's like, oh, I didn't know like you can make that much money doing X, Y, and Z. And I think, <laughs> you know, part of it is do we need to do a better job of marketing the career paths and the career opportunities so that you know people are more aware of you know the opportunities that are you know potentially before them should they choose to take that path.
2: Correct. I completely agree with you. And that is part of the uh, you know discussions we're going on now in both <laughs> internally and with with our allies. It says we have to go beyond just data to a marketing strategy. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we'll get there, but I think that's a state-by-state strategy, but DOE, I know is totally in support of this concept and we need to, you know, their workforce program will help do that. We yeah. hope, I mean, we know, look, we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. We know they care about it and they're in agreement. We have to, have to move the, move the needle in terms of yeah. both uh, who's working together, where and how. And that's, it's coming, it's it's coming down the tracks.
1: So Steve, we're probably about out of time now. So maybe like, let me sure. end with one last question, um, which is, you know, if you think about, let's say five or 10 years from now, um, and, and if you were to say like, what is the one thing that you hope we can really accomplish with this
2: infrastructure money, what would it be? It would, be, it would be essentially setting the stage for a, a multi-decade initiative that has very clear goals of carbon reductions, of improved equity. And the result is that we can get a system that is consistent, replicable, and deliverable on an ongoing basis. But now we're at a totally different stage in terms of information, technology, and the need, the goals we have to do to deal with climate change and achieve the kind of economic uh, energy future that we have to have. No I appreciate that
1: and, and I think I think about it in the, at the the same way um, and I think about it in the sense of like, that you know this infrastructure bill money um, it's billions of dollars but That's it's right, not yeah. enough to, for us to achieve our climate and energy goals alone, right? Like that, That's right. that, that money needs to be leveraged um, and it needs to be an investment in meeting our goals. And so hopefully, you know, we can use it as a, a way to like create the foundation to really sort of accelerate the transformation in the energy sector that we really need in order to achieve our climate, energy and equity goals. So, um Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I very much hope that uh, your vision of the future plays out and we, we can really achieve all these things that we're trying to achieve here.
2: Well, we're all going to have to work together. That's uh, as my obsessive compulsive collaboration, 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 right? And uh, and your team and uh, the, the many great teams across our industry, um, whether it's on the policy side, whether it's on the implementation side, whether it's on the research and development side, we got to work this together. And we will. I'm confident in having the federal government play a really positive role in helping us pull it together. That is a very, um, you know, hopeful sign. We just have to make it work.
1: (laughs) That's a great place to end. Um, You know, I agree that like collaboration, and I hope to see a lot of innovative partnerships coming down the road. Um, So Steve, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to chat with us about the infrastructure bill and the, the future of the clean energy economy. And uh, hopefully, uh, we'll have you back one day.
2: Well, it's always been great working with you for many years. <laughs> and it's uh, we all have to work together going forward. So let's keep it up. I totally agree, Mike. Thanks, Steve.
0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for Current. Current is brought to you by Illums production team, music by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll see you next time.